Caroline Dowd Higgins. Thank you for listening to Your Working Life, my podcast series featuring thought leaders in the career and personal growth arena. I know that you spend a significant portion of your life at work, so I'm on a mission to provide you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. And I'm so pleased to welcome my special guest, Dr. John Arden, to the show. Dr. Arden, welcome today. Well, thank you. Nice to be here with you. I want to tell our listeners a little bit about you, and then we're going to launch into a wonderful conversation about your new book, The Brain Bible. Dr. John Arden is the Director of Mental Health Training for the Kaiser Permanente Medical Centers, and he oversees one of the largest mental health training programs in the world, operating in 24 different medical centers throughout Northern California. He's written several successful books, including the best-selling Rewire Your Brain, as well as Brain-Based Therapy for Adults and Brain-Based Therapy for Children and Adolescents. And his new book, The Brain Bible, A Plan to Stay Vital, Productive, and Happy for a Lifetime, is what we are going to discuss today. So, Dr. John, welcome. And I would love to know, how did you decide to write this book, The Brain Bible? Well, I, I thought that there was a tremendous amount of misinformation out there about what you can do to keep your brain healthy and, and age more successfully and gracefully. So what I tried to do was take a broad look at all the literature, pay attention to what the science actually says, and come up with a, um, a number of factors that have the greatest amount of support from science. And I found five and I incorporated them in the mnemonic seeds. Mm -hmm. So the, the concept is if you plant seeds for life, you'll be happier, you'll be more focused, you'll live longer, and you won't get dementia symptoms as early as some other people. And we're gonna unpack those seeds very soon, but I'd like for you to explain to us what happens to our brains as we age. Well, you know, we uh, let's say uh, after about age 29, we uh, find that we're not as quick as our uh, younger uh, uh, friends, family members. Uh, however, we absorb a tremendous amount of wisdom over a lifetime. So we're not as quick, but we have a broader perspective. So if you can imagine that, uh, that contrary uh, trajectory whereby we're slower but we're more wise mm. uh, if we can continue being wiser about our health then our decline won't be as steep uh, so for example around age 55 there's a tremendous uh, difference between uh, the directions that some people take some people get uh, um, old i guess you could say uh, very unhealthy because there's a cumulative effect of uh, some not so good lifestyle practices that really add up over a period of time. Meanwhile, other people that have been planting seeds, as we'll talk about in a, in a while, uh, don't age as quickly. So you see amazing divergence between those two groups. So then maybe by age 65, a person that uh, uh, hasn't been following those good health uh, style practices might look like they're 75 wow. and the other one might look like they're 55. 
That's so true. And, and I can even think of, of people in my world, right, that are of similar age, but some just act and look and behave so much older, perhaps because they're not honoring their body. And perhaps uh, we'll learn more when you when you talk about the seeds. So tell us about these these five seeds that you have created as a baseline for the book. So the, the five letters uh, correspond to five healthy factors. And the first one is uh, uh, social connectedness. Mm. And the fact of the matter is our species, uh, human beings, uh, evolved on this planet because we work together to survive. And so we developed all these uh, brain networks, these social brain networks that make us thrive when we're socially connected in positive relationships and really falter when we're not in positive relationships or we're lonely. For example, we know that people that are lonely late in life get depressed more quickly, they get dementia symptoms more quickly, and even the caps on the ends of their chromosomes, these uh, telomeres, have you heard about those? Uh, They're like the tassels on your shoelaces. Those caps on the ends of the chromosomes shrink with loneliness. What we're talking about, essentially is accelerated aging. Mm, mm. So the the first E, shall I go on? Please, please do. Okay. Uh, the first E is exercise. Probably the most powerful thing you can do for your brain. And, and what we're talking about here is aerobic exercise that need not be um, you know, something that you practice in some fancy gym, but mm-hmm. rather uh, just walking fast, getting your heart beat uh, uh, up, and sweating a little bit for right. uh, maybe about 30 minutes a day. And we know that uh, exercise is probably the best antidepressant that we have, the best anti-anxiety uh, agent that we have. And with exercise, you can release this amazing protein that some people have even called miracle Grow, called brain-derived neurotropic factor, which can result in uh, the birth of new neurons in specific areas of your brain, including the hippocampus that lays down new memories. That's inspiring. So, so, so we've got to get out there and exercise. It's amazing to me. We, we know this, right? But it's amazing to me how many adults just don't do it. What do you well, attribute that to? Well, laziness, really. Yeah. And we always procrastinate. But think of this. It is an evolutionary imperative because up until about 11,000 years ago, we moved as gatherers 10 miles a day, 10 miles a day. We have the same bodies, but we don't move 10 miles a day. There's very few people that do that other than the folks that are training for a triathlon or something. Mm -hmm. Uh, anyway, the, the second E is uh, education. And if you're not learning something new on a regular basis, you're not building an infrastructure of connectivity in your brain that many people call uh, cognitive reserve. So think of your, your brain as being composed of uh, 100 billion neurons. And on average, every neuron has 10,000 connections with other neurons. So the more complex thought uh, that you push yourself to to uh, gain and appreciate, the more connectivity that you have. So later on in life, uh, the more you can lose without looking like you lost much. <laughs> That's great. So, so we know that people that uh, age uh, gracefully that are challenging their brain are really a, a whole lot sharper 
in their later years. So let, now, me, let me interrupt for a second to ask sure. you, so how, how can one challenge their brain as we age? Can you give an example? Well, uh, the best challenge always comes from trying to push yourself to learn things you have previously known nothing about. Okay. Okay. For example, so new material. Let's say you, you know nothing about the the uh, the Russian language, for example. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And now you say, well, you know what? I know nothing about it. I studied Spanish. I studied French. Uh, you know the Romance languages. I know nothing about uh, uh, Russian. I'm going to learn Russian now. Or maybe you want to learn about. Um, uh, uh, historical geology or uh, maybe a, a, a learning a new instrument or something like that. Uh, what I am not saying, however, is you just do one thing. What you want to do is a variety of different things and challenge your brain consistently and always get out of your comfort zone. That's where you get the most bang for your buck. If you're in your comfort zone and you're just learning things that you're just comfortable with because it gives you great pleasure and all that, that's not where you're building infrastructure. You build infrastructure when you push yourself to learn things you don't know anything about and you're not quite even sure if you want to learn it. <laughs> you know, that's great. However, then you gain some interest in it and now you start building that infrastructure. Wonderful. Thank you for that. So the D is diet. Uh, we have an epidemic, I mean a colossal epidemic uh, uh, about ready to blow up in the Western world called uh, um, metabolic syndrome, diabetes 2, and so on, uh, because people eat garbage. Yeah. And, uh, what we eat has a major effect on the structure of our brain, the neurochemistry that our brain uses to uh, produce complex thought, to carry on this conversation. Uh, so the, uh, the cornucopia of brain chemistry is dependent upon a positive and good wide-spectrum diet uh, and making sure that you get simple carbohydrates out of your life completely. And, and I don't mean just sugar. I mean also white flour, right, right. right rice, and all that. And then also trans fatty acids, fried foods. Just to keep it simple, but there's a there's a whole lot more to be said about that. Uh, but nevertheless, diet is fundamental. It is uh, kind of like uh, the the idea of building your house on firm ground or on sand. Yes. Do you want to build your house on firm ground? Yes, of course. Now the final S is uh, sleep hasn't uh, received enough attention in the popular press. Um, I have been very uh, pleased to see a few articles come out recently in Lancet and a few others, but that's not popular press. But it it turns out that uh, uh, the architecture of sleep has to be uh, um, uh, adhered to, meaning that we have stages of sleep that are very, very important, and people unfortunately have this idea of sleep as being one thing. And any way they can get that sleep, meaning not wake up in the middle of the night, is okay with them. However, there are stages of sleep that are very, very important for your longevity, for your immune system, uh, and for the growth of your brain. And I'm speaking about slow-wave sleep and also REM sleep, which mm -hmm. isn't slow-wave sleep. Uh, so there are many sleep depressors that, unfortunately, people uh, um, uh, consume. For example, alcohol in the evening, a glass of wine or two at night depresses slow wave sleep. And uh, uh, so 
sleep architecture critically important. And those of us that are on the computer quite a bit, you know, typing books or dogs uh, right. or, or whatever, uh, looking straight at light uh, as you do with a computer screen actually suppresses the uh, uh, the secretion of uh, the uh, hormone called melatonin, which uh, corrects your circadian rhythm. So in another words, you're actually creating insomnia by looking at the computer screen late at night. So there's a whole range of different uh, sleep hygiene practices that we have to adhere to. John, I'd love to, to unpack that a little bit because sleep is so important. And I try to honor my body every day with eight hours of sleep because that's how I can be high functioning. That's how I can maintain my health and well-being. So for me, that's an absolute deal breaker. And I will tell you, it took me a while in my adult life to really embrace that. So what are some tips for, for honoring the sleep that our bodies need? What are some suggestions? Well, let's actually use some uh, factors that we previously talked about that are actually beneficial for sleep. So uh, I mentioned the first E of seeds, which is exercise. And it turns out that research done at Harvard has found that if you get your aerobic boost uh, three to six hours before you go to sleep, you'll get the maximum sleep benefit. So here what you're doing by uh, taking a brisk walk, let's say, after Mm. dinner. Uh, is you're burning off the excess uh, stress hormones like cortisol, which, by the way, should be dropping about 4 p.m. in the you know the late afternoon. But if right. you have it elevated into the evening, it's going to be harder to stay asleep. So here you're burning off the excess stress uh, hormones, and uh, you're uh, releasing all sorts of very wonderful. Uh, uh, neurochemistry that helps rebuild your brain and also uh, secrete uh, the uh, neurotransmitters that help you get to sleep. Also, uh, body temperature is very important. Now, a lot of people don't pay attention to it. I, I do a fair amount of traveling when I run around and, and give uh, seminars. And no matter what hotel I go to now, uh, uh, for example, next week I'll be going to Southeast Asia, I bet you they're going to have quilts on the bed. Mm. Quilts in Southeast Asia, what for? <laughs> and uh, so overcovering at night gives you shallow sleep and it lowers your sleep threshold. So in other words, uh, keeping your body temperature cool at night is critically important for the quality, the architecture of your sleep. So there's another factor. Uh, one more that relates to the seeds. You see how all these seeds kind of work together. Absolutely. The, the D factor, what you eat at night has a major effect on what you are, uh, what kind of uh, sleep you get at, uh, at night. So in other words, your dinner and whatever snack you might have, have a, has a major factor on the quality of your sleep. If you eat simple carbohydrates, let's say like you're a dessert person, or for, exa- uh, for example, well, chances are you're going to have very poor quality sleep because now you've got simple carbohydrates that turn into glucose too quickly right in the middle of your sleep cycle. And uh, as a result, you're maybe not waking up, but your sleep isn't as, as deep. So diet is critically important as well. So, John, I find this fascinating because in our work world, people are working well past 65, which used to be the traditional retirement age. So, for example, in regard to the Brain Bible, what are some action steps that people in that midlife should be thinking about to be more vibrant throughout their um, 
their golden age career years, if that makes sense? Well, that's a great question. In fact, I led a job stress group for 16 years at uh, Kaiser Vallejo. And in fact, I wrote a book called Surviving Job Stress. Ah. So I paid uh, quite a lot of attention to this over that 16 year period. And uh, it is true, as you say, Caroline, that there are many people uh, that work well past their traditional uh, retirement uh, age and do so not only because uh, finances require it, and we know now plenty of people are, are doing it for those reasons, but other people do it uh, because they're interested in the subject matter. For example, right. uh, I was uh, uh, coordinating this very large meeting down in Oakland uh, uh where we had a speaker talk about the neuroscience of, of different psychological disorders on Wednesday. And a couple of my colleagues, neuropsychologists that attended, uh, are in their late 60s. And I asked, well, look, this is great that you're, you're continuing to work. Uh, I asked these two colleagues. Uh, they're, I think, 67 and 68. And uh, uh, I said, just curious, when, when are you thinking about retiring? And, and one of them, uh, Dr. Biley, uh, who's a neuropsychologist at, at Redwood City, said, I'm just having so much fun. I, I don't know what I would do if I, yeah. if I quit. Uh, and the other one said, I'm finding what you're, what I'm doing right now so interesting. Why would I retire unless they make me retire? Right. <laughs> so if you have fun, if you change your job, and, and that's what I've been doing uh, throughout the last 40 years of being in the mental health system is constantly changing. Once I get bored in what I'm doing, I, I forge some new ground. So if you're, uh, you're uh, challenging yourself to learn something new, then your job situation could be so much more vitalizing and so much more interesting. Now, not everybody can do that, of course, but you know there are a lot of micromanaging sort of tweaking that you could do with whatever uh, job situation you have. So you've got to gain some interest in what you're doing and thereby some enthusiasm for learning something new. Excellent. So, John, the book really hones in and focuses on the baby boomer generation, giving them insight and brain improvement exercises, if you will, for maintaining energy and focus. It seems to me that the seeds, the tools that you outlined, are very much applicable at any age. Is that accurate? Oh, absolutely. And in fact, I didn't uh, develop the seeds uh, necessarily only because of the baby boomers and, and longevity and all that. But in my position as the director of uh, this large training program that you mentioned, uh, I uh, have to uh, pay very close attention to what are the five uh, stabilizing factors mm. that can help any client come into our system. Let's say they're uh, suffering from anxiety, depression, or whatever. Uh, what are the five stabilizing factors that can help them uh, uh, develop a better foundation for us to then work with them from? And those five factors uh, have been found to be the most brain boosting, meaning the most mood boosting, uh, and also stabilizing. So anybody that doesn't want to be depressed or anxious, wants to be sharper, really ought to be practicing the seeds or planting seeds throughout their life. And they could be fun. 
beautifully it's not put. Like, oh my God, I got it. Right, do right. Well, well, that's why I love these. These action steps are very much implementable, right? They're they're not difficult, and and so many of them are so logical, and and we know about it. So I I, I hope people can really see this as an opportunity to take advantage wherever you are in your lifetime engagement to really use these seeds for your your overall wellness and and happiness and and well-being. It, it's such common sense, John. I really appreciate it. and I understand the science behind it now too so thank you for that any parting words any parting words of wisdom for us well you know i just to emphasize what i uh what i noted before if you practice these seeds uh then the process that we call neuroplasticity meaning rewiring your brain uh and developing habits Mm. uh, these seeds can be uh part of the nourishment for your brain that's actually uh, something that you'll crave constantly. In other words, you won't do it because you've got to do it. You'll do it because you want to do it. And your body and loves doing it. Yeah, exactly. And you'll feel deficient unless you do it. So that's great. So it's like, uh, eating, uh, uh, healthy can be something that is, uh, something you're going to look forward to rather than that piece of pie. I'm not saying I'm against pie. No, no, but, I understand. But, I mean, yeah. Uh, uh, practicing these seeds on a regular basis can be part of uh, uh, what makes you crave uh, enjoyment. Can you speak to how long it takes to develop these practices so they become part of your uh, part of your routine and something that you crave, as you just mentioned? Well, you know, a lot of uh, rewiring your brain and neuroplasticity requires uh, the engagement of an area of the brain called the prefrontal cortex. And the prefrontal cortex is the most advanced part of the brain. And what is the prefrontal cortex? Well, it's the the CEO of the brain, the brain's (laughs) brain. And uh, so when you practice a new behavior, uh, if you are engaged and really there when you're there, meaning be here now, so to speak. And that's why mindfulness and, yes. and sorts of uh, practices are so uh, popular right now, because there's a lot of uh, uh, common sense, as, as you mentioned before. Uh, so when you practice these seeds with your prefrontal cortex, meaning you're there when you're there, uh, then they will uh, uh, not require you uh, a whole lot more time before you're going to enjoy them. If you grudgingly practice them, Meaning, oh my God, I darn it, I gotta go take that walk, or I gotta have a diet, or, or right, whatever. Right. Uh, then, then you're gonna be dragging your feet and and really not engaged um, uh, as as well as you might. So uh, that person uh, that um, uh, engages from the very beginning. Um, um, is going to be practicing them with greater enjoyment, let's say in a week's time, as opposed right. to somebody that's um, dragging their feet. And they might take a whole year and, oh, God, I do, I've got to go take a walk. I don't want to take a walk. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got to embrace it with, with joy and enthusiasm and uh, cup half full, right? 
and make it novel too, yes. because uh, that's part of this whole mindfulness sort of uh, perspective and being here now. Because let's say, for example, you take a walk or or have a a new um, recipe for a dinner or whatever, you pay very close attention to the nuances of what you are experiencing. If you're walking down a particular path, trees might change, and you're paying very mm-hmm. close attention to the topography. Or if you're eating a new dish, you're paying very uh, close attention to the subtleties of of whatever you're eating. So uh, being there with greater complexity would enrich uh, your your uh, experience and thereby give you a greater sense of uh, pleasure. Excellent. Dr. John Arden, thank you so much for sharing your time and expertise with us today. And I would highly recommend that all of our listeners check out your new book, The Brain Bible, A Plan to Stay Vital, Productive, and Happy for a lifetime. Tell us how we can buy your book and and how we can follow you online. Uh, Sure. Uh, Well, you can go to uh, Amazon and just type in the Brain Bible Uh and get it there or through uh, McGraw-Hill, the publisher. Or you could go to my website and there are a number of different ways uh, uh, that you can uh, get to an online vendor, uh, including Amazon and, and uh, Powell's Books in Portland or, or whatever, Barnes & Noble. Uh, so my website is uh, www.drjohnarden.com. Wonderful. And Arden is spelled A-R-D-E-N. Just for clarification, Dr. John Arden, thank you so much. What a joy. I wish you great success. And it was delightful to have you on the show today. Oh, it was delightful to talk to you. Thanks thank so you. Much. Yes. And I want to thank you for tuning into your working life, where my goal is to help you design your career destiny so it doesn't happen by default. True career and life satisfaction is possible, and it's time to embrace what you love doing so you can do more of it. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. Take good care. 